Hello, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Wednesday, February 1st, so happy cold February, happy Black History Month, and happy two weeks before Valentine's Day, however you celebrate that. I am Jennifer Coleman. I'm the Program Director for Creative Culture and Art at the George Gunn Foundation, and I'm moderating tonight's conversation. We're at the Happy Dog in Gordon Square for the City Club's monthly Takes On series, and today we are taking on Everlasting Plastics. So every other year, the U.S. State Department hosts an open call for applicants to curate an exhibition to be presented at the U.S. Pavilion at the Venice Biennale Architectura. It's an extremely competitive process, featuring as many as 75 countries. Those selected are considered some of the best at what they do in the world. This year's exhibition will take place May 20th through November 26th. That's in several months. <laughs> and we are thrilled that the proposal submitted by our local nonprofit arts gallery spaces was selected to be the commissioner of the U.S. Pavilion. So spaces chose the theme everlasting plastics. More louder? Oh, awesome. Is rooted in an exploration of plastic as a single material with infinite forms, infinite. It aims to ignite a critical conversation about the ways that plastic both shape and erode contemporary ecologies and economies, while also suggesting possible alternatives for the way in which plastics are used. Today, we will learn more about Cleveland's prominence at La Biennale, more about the artists involved, and what this means for our, re our region. Very exciting. So join me in on stage, Tiziana Baldenebro, who's the Executive Director of Lauren Leaving, who is the Curator at MOGA Cleveland. Dr. Andrea Wolk-Rager, who is the Jesse Hawk Shira Associate Professor in the Department of Art History at Case Western Reserve University. And Lauren Yeager, who's a local con conceptual artist represented by Avatar Gallery and one of the five invited Biennale artists. A wee bit of housekeeping. If you have a question for any of our panelists, you can text them to, take out your pencil, 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club, and City Club staff will try to work them in on the second half of the program. Members and friends of the City Club, please join me in welcoming our panelists to the Happy Dog. So, 
So I think that a little bit of background on the Biennale, which is officially known as the La Biennale de Venezia, Venezia, Architecture, the Venice Architectural Biennale. Like we said, it's an exhibition that runs every other year. So that would be an odd years, I think. Is that right? Uh, the pandemic kind of threw And it is held in various locations in Venice, Italy. And it alternates with years with, with an art exhibition. So you might have heard of the, the Venice Art Exhibition Biennale in that way. This is for architecture. So, Tiziana, give us a little bit of background on how did spaces decide to get involved with the Biennale? Yeah, first I want to actually say thank you to the Happy Dog for hosting us tonight and uh, to City Club of Cleveland for being so excellent and helping put this together and also say hello to the Spaces Board, which has been so amazing and supportive of this. Um, there's a lot of, of people who come together to make these things possible, so thank you to everyone. Um, so yeah, how did we, how did we get here? <laughs> um, so one of the things that is so beautiful about Cleveland is that it has a really intimate uh, and connected arts community. Um, Lauren and I actually met here in Cleveland and we, in our first conversation, we kept talking about our past in Chicago and it kind of felt like we were just two ships sailing in the night. Uh, we were always one degree separated. And then one thing that we found out pretty quickly was that we both done the had done some work on the 2018 U.S. Pavilion at the Venice Architecture Biennale. Um, so it was kind of a funny thing because we were kind of approaching it from different ways. Um, and a few months later, the call came up for submissions and we looked at each other and we're like, we should put together a proposal just to see what the application process looks like. And we sat there and we kind of worked through a few proposal ideas and kind of hammered things out. Um, and, you know, one thing led to another and <laughs> you can't say no when the Department of State tells you to come to Venice. <laughs> um, so yeah, to give you guys a little bit of background on, you know, some of the the work and thinking that we're doing behind it. Um, we're thinking a lot about the way that architecture is provides a confrontation. Um, and oftentimes art is remediated to gallery spaces where while it can be confrontational, it should be brought out into a more, more urbanistic con con uh, environment. And so uh, we are really excited about working with five exhibitors who hybridize architecture, art, design, um, to think about these things really holistically uh, and to approach critical problems of our time, like plastics, um, in really uh, bold and exciting ways. So just for a little bit of scope here, Spaces is the smallest commissioner that has ever been selected for this. So that is pretty momentous and impressive. Yeah, we're, we're 
we're pretty we're we're tripling our annual budget for <laughs> this year. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been really great. Um, you know, I think this really points to the way that alternative art venues can really lead the way. Um, we're amazed and excited, but we think that the alternative arts are more important now more than ever. Can I also just say that Tiziana, I think, is the youngest commissioner to ever receive this award, too. <laughs> youngest oh. and smallest. <laughs> so a little bit of, again, background. So there are how many different um, countries? Do you know, or are they still sort of working on that? Yeah, so it, it varies from 75, um, you know, and I think Dr. Rager jumped in because I know you know the Biennale very well. Um, but to give you all a little bit of an idea, um, there's uh, the there's the entity known as La Biennale, which is a fair that happens every year, and it has I think seven disciplines. <laughs> it's like art, music, uh, theater, dance, um, film, film. Yeah, you probably you probably know the film Biennale. <laughs> Um, and the, uh, the Giardini, which is just a generic, generic word for gardens in Italian, um, the Giardini of La Biennale are these beautiful gardens that smell so beautiful in the spring. <laughs> um, and uh, the gardens have about 25 pavilions. So the pavilions are each organized by their respective nations. Um, so the U.S., of course, has their own that, that was built in the 1930s in a Palladian style. Um, it looks very Jeffersonian. Um, and the, um, you know, other major countries around the world have pavilions. Um, and then there are other countries that have sort of joined after everything became a, um, a nationalized public like it's preserved. So um, other pavilions find alternative venues throughout the city of Venice. Um, and so you'll find like the Estonian pavilion somewhere like, you know, Dorso Duro, which is another neighborhood in Venice, or the, um, you know, the, the Scottish pavilion, you know, so they always have these fun venues. But, um, and then there's two kind of central exhibition spaces um, where the curate, so there's a curator, an artistic director who does the entire Biennale, except for the National Pavilions. <laughs> um, so that's Leslie Loco, and I think I think you want to talk about her project a little bit too. So. <laughs> yeah, I just also, we've got curators, we've got artists, we have the commissioner. So the commissioner is really acting as a project manager yeah, so um, like like many things about the United States, we're unique in this instance. Um, most other countries have a constant commissioner. Um, in the United States, it actually alternates every single year. Um, and so we were selected as a commissioner, and the commissioner is responsible for funding, commissioning, providing oversight, um, and really just making sure that the project is coming to fruition. So we have a pretty deep relationship now with the Department of State where we're basically um, reporting pretty religiously all of our activities. <laughs> um, but do you want to talk about what the curators do? Oh. Sure. So um, Tiziana and I are co-curating this project. Um, and in the proposal process, we needed to 
submit the projects or the artist practices that we're interested in supporting through this. Um, and so we began with five artists and designers, and I think that there's a question, so I can talk about that a little later on. Um, and we submit kind of these are the ideas about the that we're thinking through and and what the artist practices look like. And once we're selected, um, we begin working really closely to commission new artwork by each of the five artists and designers. Um, and so the, the process is on a very short timeline because we found out uh, in late August, early September, I believe, and the show opens in May. Um, and so the artists will be making new work and so it's constant um, meetings and, and feedback, working with them to make sure that all of the artists feel supported, and then working with a team of exhibition designers to ensure that the, the flow of the pavilion makes sense for um, hundreds of thousands of people to, to enter the space. Um, also thinking through publication design and, and the way that we navigate events, and so it is um, it's, a, it's just a really fast-paced project that um, we are we're working on and trying to just support all of the our wonderful artists at every step of the way um so i think i view that really as a curatorial role um especially when you're working with like living people as we are of how we are best supporting them to um create their the work that they're excited about and help them realize their their biggest visions yeah, apparently 15,000 people walked through the U.S. Pavilion on one day, and that was a record this year. So that kind of gives you a scope of how many people are moving through. <laughs> wow. Um, so there's an overarching theme for the Biennale that all of the 75 or so um, pavilions work with. And this year, it's the Laboratory of the Future. And that was selected by Leslie Locos, an architect. Um, who is the, the curator, chief curator for this year. So um, what came, you know, first, how did Everlasting Plastics go with like this suitably vague, you know, laboratory <laughs> of the future that it was open to one whole realm of interpretation, but like how did you work? You talked a little bit about sort of the back and forth that you went with Love and Alley. Yeah, we, so we submitted our proposal before Leslie Loco's theme was uh, announced. And so I think some countries, so it kind of varies. Some countries like to respond to the theme and other countries like to leave it um, up to the curators to decide how to organize themselves. I think we've really embraced the theme, Laboratory of the Future. Um, Leslie Loco lives in Oregon, Ghana. Um, and La Laboratory of the Future is really talking about Africa as this exciting site for future ideas of design and solutions moving forward. Um, we think that, uh, you know, representing the United States and coming from the Rust Belt, uh, that we have really impressive ideas here. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, this is the fourth pavilion in a row for the architecture Biennale that has been commissioned by an organization that is operating here in the Midwest. Um, and I think that that really speaks to the way that this region is leading avant-garde thinking in design, in material studies, uh, and, in, and in spatial uh, uh, awareness. So um, we think that this is the laboratory of the future for the US. <laughs> I would also say that, so 
we submitted our proposal. I, I think with the because the U.S. commissioners change every year, we're also sort of on a different timeline than other countries. Uh, so what we submitted this before the theme laboratory of the future was announced. There are still, I mean, I think probably by now they've all been decided, but it could have been up until last month that people are still um, selecting curators and then therefore the curators are selecting Yikes. kind of the artists yeah. and directors. Yes, I have no idea how they pull it off, um, but good good luck to everybody, you know? Um, yeah, I also think that, so Leslie Loco was kind of talking about uh, this as rediscovering what makes architecture distinct and so thinking about plastic as a material quality and encouraging the experimentation within this materiality was really exciting for us which is why we were also able to embrace this theme i think that i mean in part it was really serendipitous and honestly perhaps why we were selected uh, or one of the reasons why we were selected um but i think that it's made it yeah easy to embrace that because of the direction of plastic and plastics history and the way that we are um encouraging folks to to rethink um, plastic and plastic reuse. Awesome. So the question begs, we have Lauren Yeager here as our second Lauren on the panel, and uh, who's one of the invited five. So what was the thought process to get? I'm sure you started off with a huge amount of possible artists, and how did you whittle that down in relationship to the work and how it resonated with everlasting plastic for the theme? So this project, Susanna had been thinking about this project when she was at um, an institution before working here. And we kind of came together and right, we were thinking through like, we want to apply, what was the proposal process like, what, uh, what do we want to apply with? And so the proposal was already really, really strong, right? And um, with artists and designers that she has rapport with and was comfortable with. And so we also started thinking, how can we expand that. She invited me so graciously to co-curate with her and also as a way for, um, as we as we expand, um, thinking about like ownership, like curatorial ownership as well. And we started discussing different artists and designers that we were familiar with and we were excited about and both of us being, spending time in Chicago. Um, we were both familiar with this designer, Norman Teague, who um, worked at the School of the Art Institute, I believe when Tiziano was a student there, um, and I had worked with him at the Hyde Park Art Center, and he was really lovely to work with, and we were excited about his work and kind of pushing his practice in, in a new direction, uh, and so that's sort of how we arrived at Norman's invitation, and Tiziano and I were both very excited about Lauren's work. Um, being from Cleveland, thinking about the way that she is working with this material and its relationship between architecture and art history and the ready-made um, and nostalgia. And, and again, like what does reuse mean for the future and how she is recreating um, totally new works out of old objects that are also pushing us to think differently about what we dispose, right? Because every, all of the work that, and Lauren will speak about her practice in a bit, but um, she collects discarded objects. Um, so nothing is, is purchased, right? And so that is really exciting too, just thinking about the relationship of plastic and used materials and also the economy. Um, and so that is how we decide, that's how um, Lauren and, and Norman, who are kind of the two additions from Tiziana's really wonderful and strong original proposal kind of came together. And I think all five artists and designers, it just worked so well, like everyone, is so excited to be in a room together, in a Zoom room together, and uh, 
the brainstorming process is really open and everyone has been so generous with each other and suggestions are welcome and it has just I think that part of it is because the artists and designers are incredible and part of it is is luck that everyone works so well and so collaboratively together because we're all just really excited at this this is an honor right and so we all want to see it thrive and so kind of coming together the collaboration has been has been easy in that way so lauren yeager what obviously other than the global stage what is it that drew you to want to be part of this and how do you think being involved with the Biennale is going to shape your your practice going forward um i mean who wouldn't want to be involved <laughs> um, but i mean i there is like a very direct like literal line from their theme to my work um so for anyone who's not familiar, um, I source my materials from pretty much like the curbs and tree lawns of our community. Um, so whatever people put out, I'm just scouring and, and assessing, uh, can I use this for a sculpture? And then filling my car with trash <laughs> when it's available. <laughs> this time of year, it's not uh, as plentiful, but... Um, and then, yeah, so in terms of going to Venice with um, that work. It's just, um, I guess when you're trying to recontextualize trash, uh, having, having a nice venue helps, helps to do that. So having such a, uh, well-regarded stage helps people to kind of rethink their, their value of, of these items. Yeah. We've had a lot of conversations about the, uh, mental ethics of shipping trash across the country <laughs> um, but I mean you know at what point does it become art and how are we celebrating that and how are we uplifting that and so that's kind of like one of the the awesome things that I think we're really really grappling with. I know we were just talking about the sort of idea of plastic as something that we're all very nervous about staying and not breaking down but when it becomes art in that process, there's a there's a very fragility to it that you know the question of you know, making art, how are you, you know, going to continue to want it to be there as opposed to breaking down. So, um, so the very interesting part of the proposal is the involvement of Case Western Reserve University and specifically the art history class of Dr. Razor here. And we have students, I understand, who are in our class and will be involved, but really talking about sustainability and the nexus of sustainability and um, architecture and, um, and art. So this is, I think, really exciting. It has definite local ramifications, but talk about the symposium and the work that the students are doing right now, I guess, as we speak. <laughs> Yes, we're entering the third week of the semester, so things are still a little new. <laughs> um, but I'm really grateful to, um, to Diana and Lauren for bringing us onto this project. They've actually given us a, a room and spaces where we're having our class, which is just fantastic to get students to come from, you know, the east side to the west side um, and really be, you know, more involved in the community. Um, and, you know, it, uh, it responds to a lot of interest that the students have, um, these concerns about sustainability and the plastic waste crisis, 
um, as well as just kind of you know, reaching out into our, our local and our global community. Um, and yeah, so, so far we've been kind of diving into the literature. There's a major exhibition that's happening right now in the UK. And so we were able to both read the exhibition catalog for that and then attend a virtual symposium. Um, and we're kind of getting into some of the more theoretical approaches. And yeah, we look forward to, um, you know, building these connections uh, between the institutions and also between, you know, Venice and Cleveland and the, the greater region around us. And the great thing, don't think that this, the party is happening in Venice only <laughs> and after November, but uh, a significant part of the exhibition will be brought back to Cleveland. So there's a symposium that's happening, there's exhibitions at spaces, and is Mocha doing something? Or, no, can I share the, the three to other venues? Just kidding, I cannot share that. Um, the show will be touring and it will be in Cleveland at, at Spaces. Yes. Good. That's the story and we're sticking to it. So, um, so there'll be a lot. There's also some interesting partnerships that are happening in Cleveland as part of that exhibition. So whether it's making our own space and with the CEDC and a really interesting mock trial program with the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund. So I don't, I'm not sure if you've got some other folks that are lined up. So we're still organizing a lot of this. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, actually, I think I saw Professor Diane Davis Cora. Oh, there she is. <laughs> um, so Kent State has been really great, and I think they're working on. Uh, building some programs for their students to also uh, work through some bioplastic approaches, um, which is really cool and exciting thinking about the more architectural approach as we're also lacing in the art history approach. Um, and part of the CDC, we, we chatted with Terry Schwartz, who actually, fun factoid for the trivia takers out there, was part of the 20th she was an exhibitor at the 2013 Venice Biennale uh, as a part of the, oh, I wish I remembered the name of that. Uh, it was something about cities. <laughs> it was 10 years ago. So. Yeah, 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 okay, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, Terry, uh, Terry Schwartz has been really great and um, was thinking maybe there might be some cool workshops to do with uh, the youth-based program, Making Our Own Spaces. So we're chatting a lot with our partners and trying to maintain these open conversations for programs and projects that we, we can build up. So the run of the exhibition in Venice is May, 20th through November 26th. Uh, so we're working with our partners throughout to sort of make sure. Um, one of the other major partners that we're working with that I think is really important is Venice Lagoon Plastic Free. Um, and they're a nonprofit organization in Venice who collect waste plastic off the shores of the Venetian Lagoon. And they're working with one of the exhibitors to think about how they can sequester plastic into designed works to really bring forward um, authentic Venetian trash art, <laughs> um, which, you know, the pro provenance <laughs> should, should really bring a lot of excitement towards those works. So probably early 2024 would be the exhibition would come back to Cleveland after give give you guys a little bit of a rest <laughs> and um, 
But we've got, you know, roughly three months and 20 days until right. the start opening, but just counting days. <laughs> um, so what's in store? I hear there's a trip that's imminent. and uh, We leave Friday. <laughs> we come back Tuesday. Just a brief jaunt. To see. I mean, we haven't seen the... We've seen the pavilion with the flooring and the, the structure that Simone Lee's pavilion, the art biennale, so we've seen that, but uh, the flooring was separate or different because those sculptures weighed tons. Uh, and so we are going back to see what the pavilion looks like, kind of stripped down um, to begin reimagining or envisioning what what our project will look like in that space so very exciting yeah but in between uh you know i, I don't ever want to gatekeep the curatorial labor that we're doing <laughs> there's a lot of work we have a lot of partners a lot of agreements um we're we're doing just a lot of back-end work to make sure that everything comes together um, you know, Lauren and I are pretty much in constant meetings these days, <laughs> um, whether it's with artists or uh, whether it's with um, shipping. Shipping and logistics is a huge uh, thing that we're trying to resolve right now. So shout out to Woodley uh, International Art Handlers for being such a rock for us. Um, but uh, there's a lot of back end work that comes into pulling these types of projects together. Um, also, our curatorial assistant, Paula Volpato, is here somewhere. <laughs> um, and she's been a godsend. She is the uh, first full-time person on this project, which has literally made our lives 75% easier. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of work we're working on bringing together a catalog uh, in 90 days. Um, which I think is a record. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so we're we're doing a lot of behind the scenes work and uh, I guess trying to occasionally sleep. <laughs> and run two organizations. And run two organizations. <laughs> which are, are still, it's not that MOCA or spaces have closed down to do this work, but this is one of many um, exhibitions and just great museum and gallery activities that are happening. So we have an opening on February 24th and MOCA just had an opening last Thursday. Come <laughs> see our new shows. They're amazing. So more to come on this. And I would definitely keep your eyes peeled on Space's website to, uh, you know, I don't know if you're sort of blogging this and, <laughs> and we in will some be. way talking about like the process and how things are going, but definitely keep in touch with the artist, with Case and everything that's happening there. There's just going to be a flurry, as we said, of activity going into the spring or from late winter into the spring. So this is a very exciting time for our, our, our institutions here. So cross your fingers, send them Valentine's candy or something. We love candy. Uh, I also want to say we are working on, so it's like a three-part compendium publication. Um, in the first part, right, will be happening in 90 days. And it is uh, an assembly of sketches. So we are working with some really wonderful writers, scholars, humans interested in the relationship between plastic, art, design, architecture, um, and the environment. And so um, there will be a, a grouping of, of brief texts um, by some of these really brilliant people in relation to the artist project. So definitely be on the lookout for that uh, because that's another component of this that we're so thrilled to be, to be creating.
If you're going to be in tennis in May, just let us know because yeah. we can get you into the good parties. <laughs> so it's time for the Q&A. And um, for our live stream audience, I'm Jennifer Coleman, the program director at the George Gunn Foundation for Creative Culture and Art and the moderator for tonight's conversation. So our panel, which we've just heard such wonderful developments from, are Tiziana Baldenebro from the Exec from Spaces, the executive director there. Lauren Loving, Leaving, Loving, 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 who is curator at MoFA Cleveland and also working on this project. Dr. Andrea Wolf Rager, the Jesse Hawk Shira Associate Professor in the Department of Art History or Art History and Art at Case Western Reserve University. That's a little tricky. <laughs> and Lauren Yeager, our Cleveland-based conceptual artist and one of the five invited Biennale artists. So if you're here in person, you can line up next to the microphone right over here to my left to ask your question. If you're joining us virtually, you can text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club, and City Club staff will try to work in those questions. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Um, so I know most of the players up here, and we're very excited. Um, I have a gallery that works with Lauren Yeager. But I would like to hear from some of you how you think all this American plastic, which is from America, is going to be empowered by being in this place. It's something that I think about because, of course, when the show comes back to wherever it's going to go, it's going to be a different exhibition and it's going to have different kinds of meanings, which I think would be very enriching. So I'd like to hear you guys talk about that. Um, yeah, so there's definitely an aura to the Venice Biennale that's unlike any other. Um, it really does transform experiences and becomes this really magical and important moment. Um, and one of the things that becomes so important in the way that we're talking about things is that moment where something turns from waste into art. Uh, and I think that we're working through um, a lot of projects where even the artists are coming to us and they're like, so do I just ship this in a palette or do I need to create it because it's art? <laughs> and so, you know, the, you know, when we ship it there, it can be shipped as raw materials, but the minute it gets exhibited in Venice, we have to start ensuring that and creating it very differently and very specifically. Um, so, you know, I think what we're doing is really bringing these conversations about these single-use experiences with materials, these single-use experiences, and critiquing that in a way that I think is really important into how art gets transformed or how things like start to develop those auras of, of, of permanence. Um, I mean, yeah, you all should add to that too. I do <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that every step of the, the way it's been really exciting, but also really challenging, right? Because we are working with those raw materials. And so thinking about, for example, there's um, an architect that we're working with, Angley, and she is interested in the life cycle of polystyrene and building materials and kind of, she'll be illuminating what is 
unseen, um, kind of putting this like insulation uh, on display, but it's also been a conversation of, okay, well, right, should I source it in the US? Should I source it in Italy? Like, where is this material coming from? And then ultimately here in the US, and then it will come back here, but also what happens in that life cycle? So does it remain art after it has been shown in all of the venues that it will be shown in? Or uh, like, does it become art or does it, how how are we continuing this circular economy? And does that go back into being able to be used again as insulation? So what is the process of transforming something, a raw material into art and then back into a raw material? So that's something that we've had, I mean, everything we've had to consider it from all of the artists works to uh, the way that the didactic materials are printed because usually uh, our organizations use vinyl vinyl is plastic uh, and so I also like with our publication today we were talking about uh, what like part of the, the cover material would be um, and if that should be plastic or not and so it's it's I think that this has impacted us as curators and our whole exhibition team and the and the artists because now we are really thinking about every every item that we are using within this this process because there's there's a lot of waste in uh, in art exhibitions and so how can we kind of keep that going because this is work that is really essential and we love doing this and uh, is impactful for humans to experience art and so how with this how what is like what is the reuse like right and what is um how can we make it a bit more sustainable yeah i would add that um i think invisibility is really what's at the core of the plastic waste crisis right this myth that we can use plastic and then just recycle it or throw it away and it disappears and so having artists call attention to plastic and plastic waste giving it this new visibility I think it's one of the keys to kind of make people more aware of these networks and the things that we can do to kind of come to terms with plastic materiality and its impact on the world. Yeah, I think uh, another aspect that is so interesting and maybe what uh, Lisa was getting at is like coming from America where, um, I mean, it's not only an American issue, but maybe it's an especially or exceptionally American approach that we're taking and it's probably not uh, coincidence that we are the U.S. Pavilion tackling the subject matter, um, but a lot of it comes down to I think us prioritizing convenience in our lives and valuing accessibility and affordability and convenience and manufacturability over other abilities. Um, and then, you know, when you decide you're going to create something and value it and display it in Venice, then you're adding value back into that material. Um, and that value I think is added back in by putting time and thought towards it. And that's where the value kind of comes back. I should also say that like the, Lauren brought up a really great point of, it's very intentional where the artists are from. Like they all have uh, touch points to the Midwest, which is the home of Dow Chemical. Um, also really intentional in the Tiziana's original proposal. Uh, Dow Chemical is the second largest chemical producer in the world and like produces a ton of our plastics. And so, right, what does it mean for the U.S. to be organizing this civilian and being really intentional in the like every maneuver that we make? Because it's not necessarily, it's, it's calling attention to 
perhaps a problem that we stewarded or created and also rethinking the futures of that, um, which I think is really, it's really essential that we embrace that in our rethinking these moments. Yes, this seems like it's an issue that affects us all. Um, tell me here in Cleveland, uh, the exhibition team, are any internationals working on it? People from other countries who have come here to help out? Uh, we have one international person who's helping, um, actually two. Um, uh, uh, Faisal Altun Bazar is helping us. Uh, he studied in Chicago and uh, uh, he's based in London, but kind of lives everywhere. <laughs> uh, and Paula Volpato, who uh, is of Brazilian descent, but has been living and working in Chicago um, and is has moved here to Cleveland for a little bit to help us work on this. So they all have touched from Cleveland. They're not just coming in cold from different countries. They all have. They, they've all lived and worked in the Midwest. Yeah. And I think that that was a big thing that we were really trying to underscore is that people understand this region and take a very serious look at, at the issues that, um, that are really focused around here. So my colleague uh, who is looking at climate justice returned towards the end of the year, I think November, from COP27, which was in Egypt. And uh, there was a lot of art with other other countries that we're looking at. And COP is all about the environment, climate justice issues. And there was a lot of interpretation and welcoming artists. So it's really, I'm wondering, with these type of exhibitions, if we have really looked at climate change as an issue where this is the direct, because this might be something you might want to take on the road to the next cop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that is really important is that there's this relationship between this global and kind of sightless and originated material that kind of exists everywhere to your invisibility point from earlier, Dr. Ager, um, it, it does become invisible when you're sort of looking at the things that you that you use, that you sort of possess. And so this international issue also having this distinctly American origin story, I think is really important. I think we all know that scene from The Graduate where Benjamin Bratton's, <laughs> Benjamin's character is kind of sitting there and he's like, so what next? And his dad's friend tells him plastics. <laughs> um, so it is kind of like this, this, this moment of optimism that we had. Um, and and we did think about it for a really long time as the, the kind of green solution to like tortoise shell, for example, um, and really decoupling that now and sort of realizing that it's having this other tremendous effect. So is there a way as you are uh, so so quickly and furiously planning um, ways for local artists to get involved? Definitely. I mean, I think that there are certain things from the topic that Lauren and I are, are hoping to bring curatorially to our conversations and studio visits with artists in the community, um, specifically thinking about the ways that they're moving through um, 
waste systems and waste production. Um, you know, Lauren talked about how wasteful the art industry can be and how we should be critical of that. Um, so kind of encouraging artists to um, think about Think about the vinyl on the wall. Um, think about alternative solutions. Um, but there are other approaches, and I think especially as we start to develop the programming for um, the summer and the fall to come afterwards, um, we're definitely going to be chatting with a few folks in our community to make sure that um, they're helping us spread the message um, of, the, of the program. Andrea, tell us a little bit more about the, the uh, symposium that's going to happen because it's going to be part of it is going to be in Venice, and but the majority of it is going to be in Cleveland. Is that right? It's still very much in development, I think, <laughs> so we'll get back to you on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think the hope is to connect you know, some of these really exciting international scholars who are tackling these issues um, with really local um, you know, community members, with different community organizations, with in the arts and beyond, just so we can get lots of different people coming together to think this through, and I think hopefully taking advantage of the um, virtual um, you know, capabilities that we have now for people to join without having to make that huge impact on the environment of flying back and forth, um, which is a you know key issue with biennials. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think um, you know we'll have more information soon on that, so stay tuned. <laughs> we'll keep you posted. But yeah, that, that's going to be fantastic. And just to underscore, it will be open to the community. Definitely, yes. <laughs> Great. Thank you for all being here um, and sharing this wonderful project. Um, you mentioned Dow Chemical briefly and also the importance of your participants being from the Midwest or having a connection to the Midwest. And I couldn't help but notice, as I turned on the Detroit Avenue, a giant DuPont sign. So I'm curious how you are collaborating with or engaging with Cleveland's particular history um, in the manufacture and continued manufacture of plastics. Yeah, I mean, it's petrochemical polymers are still our leading industry in the city. Um, not in the city, in the state. Uh, so it's I think it's Ohio's number one. Um, industry. Uh, engaging is kind of a tough word. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that we're really trying to figure out or to sort of articulate through the exhibition is not necessarily a value judgment, but a use judgment, right? Um, so we don't, we don't have the plastics issue that we currently have without having this mentality of disposability or single use. Um, and so with these ideas of convenience that sort of Lauren was alluding to earlier, these, these ideas of convenience, this idea of disposability, this idea of single use, um, we don't have the plastic problem. With, without those ideas, we don't have the plastic problem that we currently have. Um, so really we're, we're critiquing more that mentality, that sort of way that these materials become discardable, um, that we don't perceive them as having any duration or we don't use them in ways that have any duration. Um, and so more than sort of taking to task Dow Chemical or DuPont, which certainly have, you know, had, <laughs> uh, uh, have done their fair share of marketing to convince us that uh, plastics are so easily disposed of, um, we're actually, forcing people to sort of recognize their own relationship to the material and to encourage folks to really reconsider the way that they're using plastics. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that 
where we are not making a a judgment. It's it's encouraging folks to kind of think differently, think about the life cycle, but also uh, our relationship with plastic and plastic futures because we don't necessarily know what the future impact is long term because plastics history is relatively short, but also acknowledge that um, while it is a harmful material, it's also a life-saving material. Like thinking about plastic masks, thinking about single-use catheters and the way that like the plastic material is is supporting humans. Uh, and so like just really kind of exploring that tension, I think is essential um, to to kind of encourage folks to, right, not necessarily point the finger, but think of possible solutions because like, yes, we are in a climate crisis and we didn't get, we didn't get here without plastics, um, but also kind of understanding our, our relationship to, to the material. And I think also the way that uh, like plastic and plasticity where like plastic is really, it's interesting because it's, it's it's rigid in the fact that we don't necessarily know we can do all of these things but we don't necessarily know like what what happens and so how that kind of shifts our expectations for other materials and so uh and wanting everything to have the sense of plasticity and so i think it is just kind of again encouraging audiences to engage with the work presented and thinking about all of the possible um solutions that these these artists and designers are, are offering Hi everybody. Um, so I, I, I hope uh, a lot of people here are familiar with with Lauren's amazing work. Um, Tiziana and Lauren, you have curated I think five artists from around the Great Lakes into this project, and the way that they use plastic is very different. Could you talk about some of the other folks and each of the artist practices uh, that that you're putting together for this exhibit? Sure. Um, so, uh, we can start with Simon, uh, Simon Anton, who is, uh, based in Detroit. Um, and he's been long working with plastics that he, um, he, similar to Lauren, actually, he collects a lot of the same things that Lauren <laughs> Yeager collects. Um, and he actually shreds them and, uh, uses different techniques to sort of bring the materials together and, and create these designed objects. Um, and really helps create a revaluation of them. Um, he has worked a lot with youth, so he creates youth programs around this um, and uh, uh, is just a really brilliant plastic person. <laughs> um, uh, let's see, another artist, so Xavi Aguirre, who used to actually be based in Detroit, but now they've since moved to Boston. Um, so they're now teaching at MIT. Um, and their, their practice is actually talking more about what Lauren was alluding to, this plasticity as a cultural metaphor. You know, one of the things that um, we kind of have been working through is this idea of, of the fact that there's too much stuff. And the way that we came to having too much stuff is this kind of ideological belief that plastics could embody any shape or form. And how do we sort of like reflexively encourage plasticity, which we believe to be a good thing, right? Neural plasticity is a good thing. Um, while also shaping the way that we think about a material having plasticity, uh, which 
feels like a bad thing now, right? So like these kinds of complex relationships and tensions that we hold with these materials, um, they'll be creating a very large uh, uh, film piece, um, a set of film pieces. Um, let's see who else, uh, Norm Teague, who is based on the south side of Chicago. Um, he's actually not known for his work with plastic, but he's done a lot of work to create a sustainable um, community of black art designer, of black designers on the south side of Chicago. Um, and what we appreciated about his practice most was actually the relationship to the word sustainability, which I think is something that often gets thrown out when we're talking about plastic recycling or plastic reuse or plastic rematerialization. Um, so thinking about sustainability in this kind of way of like, how do you keep an ecosystem of designers on the south side um, operating and working. Um, and he's come up with some really brilliant ideas and approaches to work with plastic, um, specifically around his surrounding community. Uh, and then Ang Lee, who is based also in Boston, but used to be in Chicago. <laughs> um, she's now a professor at Northeastern University. Um, and uh, her practice has been looking at the history of building materials and uh, construction materials. Um, and has done a lot of work critiquing the production of waste for the production of waste. Um, so she's looked at waste streams extensively, how construction adds to waste. Um, and so she's been working with these massive bodies of EPS foam that get condensed um, and really thinking about this kind of relationship between this kind of seemingly weightless ephemeral takeout box material and condensing it into something that is like structural and, and has integrity and feels solid. Um, and so we're really excited for the five designers. Um, Lauren's going to be in the courtyard, so you can catch her first in the big photos. But um, I think we're really excited for the way that all five of these approach, uh, these five designers approach plastics and think about the material properties in distinct ways. Also, Norman is going to be giving a talk at Oberlin February 16th. So you should definitely check him out. He's part of um, the, he's part of a show there right now. So um, yes, yeah, so you can come meet him and see more of his his other he designs furniture, so some furniture pieces that we'll have there. All right. Um, we have a text question. Yeah, uh, I'm Cynthia Connolly, Director of Programming with the City Club. Uh, question from our, our virtual audience. This is a huge achievement and a big lift for any art gallery. How has the City of Cleveland, its artistic talent and partners lifted up and supported spaces during the application process and beyond? What more can we do? That's oh, nice. so nice. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, so to be fair, Lauren and I kind of just like spent a few late nights doing this during the application. So we supported each other with some some drops of caffeine. <laughs> um, but uh, as soon as we found out, the rush of support was really amazing. The Spaces Board was so excited and enthusiastic. Um, it's a small but mighty board. So I'm really grateful to the support that they've been giving me um, and us at large. Um, and 
you know, we've we've had some really generous um, um, support from from individuals, um, but we've also received some support, some major support from some of the finest uh, uh, foundations in the land. <laughs> um, you know, we're excited. The Cleveland Foundation, the Gun Foundation. We've had some wonderful conversations with the Nord Foundation. Um, so it's really amazing to be in a city where. Um, where the foundations are really taking their work seriously and learning how to better support arts organizations who are really doing some exciting and avant-garde things. Um, so we've received some wonderful foundational support. We're so close to hitting our goal. This is gonna start sounding like an NPR. We're so close to hitting our goal. <laughs> we are very close though. <laughs> um, so uh, like I said earlier, we're tripling our annual budget um, through this. So there's a few ways to help, obviously. Um, you know, A, we'd like to see as many people in Venice from Cleveland as possible because it'd be amazing to look out into the crowds <laughs> and, uh, and, and see some Clevelanders' faces and, uh, and come party and celebrate with us in Venice. Um, we are still accepting sponsorships. So if you're looking to sponsor us, uh, we will we will we will chat. <laughs> we accept. <laughs> um, and there's other ways. You know, this is a moment of heightened visibility for our organization, not just in Venice, but the work that we're doing here. I don't know if you all saw, but we received a Warhol multi-year project support grant. Um, which is a very major and exciting award for our organization to be receiving. Um, and so as we're kind of jumping forward in Venice, we're also doing the best we can to shine a light on the work that we're doing here in Cleveland through the residency, through our three major artist regranting programs, um, and the support and membership uh, and, and mentorship of our, ourselves and our peer organizations. So. Also, major shout out to some of my colleagues at MOCA that have been really wonderful um, mental and emotional support, and also the team at Spaces. Um, Y'all have welcomed me like your own, uh, so thank you, because Tiziana uh, and her team at Spaces are, are just incredible. Just to shout out again, the collaborative nature of arts organizations, in this case, visual arts. Um, that exists in Cleveland, and not every city can boast that. So we're special. There's a reason why Spaces received this commission, and why Cleveland will be reaping the benefits of it. So educational arts organizations. Um, what about getting the word out? I mean, are there like opportunities? I know that I think Artnet, Hyperallergic, they've yeah. written some initial articles, but um, is there a way that sort of we could help just sort of lift this up? Well, this, uh, <laughs> this is one way. Um, no, we're, so Lauren and I are planning to do some media talks uh, in, you know, we're, we're hoping to have some great media connections. We've got a, a great PR firm supporting us um, and a PR individual. So we have a consultant, Elizabeth Krasner, and support from Resnickow and Associates. Um, and they've done some really great work in the past with uh, different pavilions, the Venice Biennale. So um, we're going to really start um, hitting all of the covers of all of the magazines <laughs> as soon as possible. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Is there a 
there any writers here that want to chat? Just let us know. Well, I think that's it for the question. So thank you once again to our